This is the Frontier Freedom Hour, sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Here's Jeff Hunt. Friends, I got to share this with you. This just came out this week. CCU named to Wall Street Journal's America's Best Colleges list. CCU recognized among the top 10% of colleges and universities in the U.S. Colorado Christian University has been named to the America's Best Colleges 2024 list by the Wall Street Journal and its research partners, College Pulse and Statista. The rankings highlight the top 400 colleges and universities out of more than 4,000 in the United States based on data and survey results in the areas of graduate outcomes, learning environment, and diversity. This is from the new president of CCU, Eric Hogue. At CCU, we are committed to developing and delivering competent, convictional, and courageous graduates into the world, graduates exceptionally employable and capable of becoming cultural leaders. Being named one of America's best colleges by the Wall Street Journal is powerful recognition of the hard work and dedication of the entire Colorado Christian University community to our mission and providing Christ-centered higher education that transforms students to impact the world with grace and truth. So, uh, you know, when you think of higher education, you think of colleges, you're not wrong to think of woke universities. They chase speakers off campus because they don't like them. Uh, We'll educate the kids that the Constitution's a living, breathing document written by a whole bunch of racists years ago that should be changed. Uh, You're not wrong to think that because it happens. But it doesn't happen at Colorado Christian University. We don't ignore the history. We don't ignore the past. Of course, there was sins in the past, and slavery is probably one of the greatest sins this country ever committed. But at the same time, we recognize that there are founding principles that are worth cherishing, that are important. Second Amendment rights, free speech, freedom of religion, limited government, separation of powers, all of that. And so this Monday night at Colorado Christian University, we're going to be celebrating the Constitution with our annual Constitution Day lecture, how the structure of the Constitution preserves liberty. The gentleman that will be providing the lecture is Sean Nation, Deputy General Counsel at Mountain States Legal Foundation. He joins me in the studio today. So, uh, Sean, give us a sense of your lecture. How does the structure of the Constitution preserve liberty? Sure. So we touched on this a a, a bit, a a little bit ago. Um, But by dividing power, by decentralizing authority, right? So we, our federal government is of limited enumerated powers. We've gotten away from that a little bit um, after the 1930s, and we can we can discuss that if you'd like. But there are limitations on what the government can do, and by dividing it between the legislative, the executive, and the judicial, so that in theory they're all completely separate from one another, mm-hmm. uh, that preserves both individual and community liberty by no longer having a strong monarch, yeah. right? No longer having a, a divine right monarch who exercises all authority, um, which is, you know, really kind of where we had come from. If we if we go back to our English uh, English roots, um, particularly in the seventeenth century, you had this strong monarch who controlled when the parliament could meet. Mm-hmm. could control when, you know, it was the king's bench was the judiciary, right? right? It, they served at the pleasure of the king. And ultimately, 
the king was the source of all authority. Well, that's not the case well, in the Constitution. And if you look at the Declaration of Independence, if you ask the average person out there, why did we go to war against England? They'd probably say over tea taxes or something like that. <laughs> uh, the truth is, if you look at the Declaration of Independence, all three of our branches of government were compromised by the power of the king. That's right. Right? The judiciary, the legislative, and the judi- uh, and the executive. So um, you had no recourse. And there's people that have, been, that have studied... Uh, revolutions, like mm-hmm. why revolutions happen in countries. And typically what they found is that you have to have a pressure relief valve of some capacity, right? So if people are not happy with the way things are going, there's either a check on it. So you have another form of government or the people themselves can uh, check it through democracy, through direct elections. So if you don't have a check on like an overbearing, corrupt Fidel Castro, for instance, right? right? Like that guy can do whatever he wants, put his political prisoners in jail. There's no recourse against that. Well, then you oftentimes end up with violent revolutions as the people kind of rise up to kind of fight against that. So this type of balanced government is absolutely critical to peace, to prosperity, to everything we have in this country. That's right. And, and, you know, I kind of I conceive of it as liberty. Right. That's that's the word that kind of came from both the founding generation, I think, uh, echoes through to today. Right. You know, give me liberty or give me death. But just don't wear that flag on your backpack. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, uh, you can you can call it a pressure relief. You can call it checks and balances. All of those ultimately, at the end of the day, stop should serve to stop the state from committing violence against an individual. And really that's what we're talking about because even at, at both state and federal levels, and the constitution of course is, is really concerned about the federal government, um, any law that's passed at the end of the day is enforced at the end of a rifle, mm-hmm. right? So by limiting the authority of the government, you limit the, the potential for the state committing violence against mm. against an individual, hmm. um, so you know we we talk. Uh, you you can look at, at something um, like uh, the, recently in the news you may have seen uh, the ATF going after FFL uh, licensees. Um, those are hmm. firearms licensees. A lot of times people will have kind of a a side business or like a hobbyist kind of business where they'll they'll sell firearms. Well, the ATF, especially under the Biden administration, has decided that they don't they don't like that. Mm. They want to centralize things as much as possible. So they've been they've been doing raids on home based FFLs um, over paperwork problems. And we're not talking these aren't people who are selling to like cartels, cartels or right. anything like that. It's a guy who uh, you filled in a name on the wrong line of a form, right? Wow. Like not we're not and, and this guy was actually a Baptist preacher on top of that. <laughs> and you know, the 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 government raided his home and Jeez. put him in handcuffs. And that kind of thing should not happen under our constitution, especially under our second amendment, right? Like we, 
we have the right to keep and bear arms. Mm-hmm. And at Mountain States, we have a center to keep and bear arms that uh, Brian Abbas, a great lawyer, runs, um, where we are, you know, very much litigate these firearms issues. Uh, one thing that's kind of um, in the hopper, uh, Boulder uh, here in Colorado has uh, uh, an ordinance where you've got to put a sign up that says, you know, if you have a gun, you're likely to kill your family kind of thing. I don't I, that's not the exact wording, but, <laughs> you know, it's it's a, it's a typical Boulder kind of thing. And we're mm. we're looking into challenging whether that's uh, allowed under either the first or the Second Amendment. Um, so they put up an ordinance on signs or where, where so they compel any firearms dealer in Boulder oh, okay. to put up a sign that's I think it's eight by eleven that says something it's al- like a tobacco thing. It, right? It's like kind you of smoke, like you smoke cigarettes, your head's gonna fall off. Yeah, it, <laughs> kind of. Except for it's a little more it, it's it's a little less based in science than that. Let's put it that way. Um and you know we're we're looking into to challenging that ordinance because we don't think the government should be able to compel you or even you operating a business to put up a, a sign that you disagree with. Yeah, um, you know, that, especially if it's core to your business, right? right? And, and that was it's like it's like a car dealer having to put up a sign that says you're more likely to die in a car accident because you buy this car. Essentially, essentially. Right. And, you know, we saw our Supreme Court um, this past term in the 303 creative case that said you don't have to compel speech, yeah. compel speech that you disagree with. Right. Um, you know, in th- that case involved a, a website designer. This mm-hmm. involves a firearms dealer. But I don't see any reason why that that distinction really matters. It's just, again, the government can't force you to speak. And can't force you to not speak at the same time. If you wanted to put up a sign, if you were a gun dealer who was, I don't know, a a woke lefty person who wanted to put up a sign that said, (laughs) if you buy this, you're going to kill yourself. You know, uh, you know, the government can't stop you from doing that. Um, I don't I don't know that that would ever happen, but But (laughs) you can imagine a world. But there are the government can mandate like, let's just say seatbelts. They're like tags on the seatbelt or, um, you know, you, you have those things like don't put your child in the front seat of the car. So there is a case in which they can mandate something. Yeah, right? it, it's really about where the line is. Okay. So things like calorie counts on yeah. packaging or ingredients that are just purely factual information. Which I didn't like early on, but now that I'm old and fat, I kind of do. So go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I think those purely factual communications, sure. Yeah. You know, they, the government, for instance, can compel a university to say a military recruiter will be here Monday at 11 at, you know, uh, Ace Hallway. Mm-hmm. You know, the government, the university may not want to advertise that uh, a military recruiter is there, but the government can say, you're just conveying very factual information. Here, when, where, who. No opinion, yeah. But if you're compelling an opinion that the government either approves or disapproves of, the government can't do that. All right, we're talking with Sean Nation, Deputy General Counsel of Mountain States Legal Foundation. We're celebrating all things Constitution. It's Constitution Week, so you got to read it this Sunday with your family, grandchildren. Make sure they know about the Constitution. We'll continue this conversation when we return. You're listening to the Frontier Freedom Hour.